coal mines there are amazing because everywhere else it's these real nice linear formations because it's basically just an old forest that more earth got piled on top of over hundreds of millions of years or whatever it is. But in uh, Pennsylvania, the coal is kind of like at a 45 degree angle. Which and you're is chasing it. And you're chasing it. Yeah. And you're, yeah, you're, you're, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a lot messier than a nice Gillette, Wyoming powder river basin coal mine. The same way the, the rock aggregate mines are as well. Yeah. You know, we're sometimes just chasing some overburden, knock it off, finally get to a decent seam. Uh huh. And then you have to go find it again. Yeah. Yeah. You think making rock is simple, but it's not <laughs> because you need a certain kind of rock. And so even though that's rock, it's not the rock we need. And then, yeah, you'll have these, these veins of just garbage running through your pit that you got to dig out of there, no matter where you're at in elevation. Um, there's a lot to making rock that you don't really think about. Yeah, and how the geology lays, which mm-hmm. which rock is, uh, are we shooting it in the right direction to give them the product they want? Well, and up there too, there's a lot of cement. Yes. Uh, and with cement, you have to mix. Mix. Yeah, you have to mix. You can't just throw whatever limestone in there and expect the same cement to come out the other end. A lot of people don't understand that when they go to make it. I mean, uh, the people that are actually making it do. Yeah. People that buy out drilling and blasting bring into your mind uh-huh. the procurement people don't always understand that yeah about that well if you're buying the rock by the ton or your explosives by the ton like a drill blast package or whatever it may be it's not cookie cutter mm-hmm. you're not buying widgets yeah some days we can shoot big shots sometimes we have to shoot two or three different areas so you can mix it all together sure that's why cement blasting is a little bit different yeah well, and that's the fascinating thing about drilling and blasting in general is it's different everywhere. It's just, it's so variable. And you think, the common person thinks you just put some dynamite, they always call it dynamite, throw some dynamite in the hole and just let it rip like Wiley e. Coyote. And, and that's the old school thinking that you're just out there with a plunger and just. Yeah. I do wish, I do wish we still did blasting that way though. The buttons and stuff, it's not nearly as cool. It's like, <laughs> you know, the little pelican case with the, yeah. the fancy insides i'd rather i'd rather do the plunger i guess we could still do that I, couldn't you still do that yeah yeah probably not as safe as what it is today with all the new technology well but... still half the new technology <laughs> yeah but even even if it's like uh you know um for kids you know uh, they have like the the fake cooking so the kid feels like they're helping with dinner but they're not actually cooking it's kind of like that. You set right. that up on the on the side, and at the same time, you actually hit the button, but you make the person feel good about yeah, the plunger. Yeah, like they really set it off. It's an experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're with, you. I guess, were with Dino. Yes. And yes. Dino makes explosives. Yes. They're one of the four major manufacturers of explosives. Okay. And their North America headquarters is out of Salt Lake City. Okay. Where's Dino out of? Australia. Australia. Oh. Work and, and Dino are both Australian-owned companies. Is that right? Okay. There's a lot of blasting in Australia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I There's this video going around the internet of, I guess, the largest blast ever at that coal mine in Queensland. 
and I was supposed to go to that exact coal mine wow. the, this last trip. And okay. then at the last minute, we got pushed to another mine. But the 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 I've never seen bigger shots than out there. I posted a picture of it the other day of just like this enormous shot. And you look at the holes, you're like, ah, oh, that's not that big of a shot. And then you look at the pickup truck, you realize the holes are just fucking huge. <laughs> and and you look at a, the pickup truck out there that they call Ute, you're like, oh, wow, they're going to let that thing rip. And that is a production shot, let oh, me yeah. tell you. Um, so it's an Australian company. Yeah. Okay. How'd you end up with them? Well, um, I was working for a joint venture in the Northeast, main drilling and blasting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And big, um, big operation. They're, yeah, they're a big operation. Uh, good family company um, that Dino uh, bought into, mm. uh, being the manufacturer. So Dino has a lot of joint ventures throughout the United States. Okay. Okay. Um, so in different parts of the country, it's Buckley Powder, uh, who I work for now, Wampum Hardware, uh, um, and and various others. Okay, that use their explosives and distribute it to other people to use as well. Okay. So. Dyna Nobel, um, there was an opportunity that they had some operations to be fixed and, and uh, make an impact with in 2019. After working for one of their joint ventures for nine and a half years, they came to me and had this opportunity and um, didn't know what it was mm-hmm. when they were talking to me initially, but they said, we have uh, some things in Alabama that need to, to be fixed. And I said, um, you sure? I'm a, I'm a guy from Pennsylvania. What does a guy from Pennsylvania know about Alabama? But yeah. um, basically, um, yeah, I had an opportunity and took that opportunity in Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and the Bahamas mm. to run that operation and, and kind of build a team down there okay. and um, did that for them. And then uh, we had an opportunity in Nashville to open an office here as mm-hmm. Dinah Nobel. And so added Tennessee to my operations and um, our team then took on an acquisition of Hermitage Explosives, which was a family owned business in, in Tennessee and Nashville okay. that was affiliated with Dino. I got you. And then, uh, you know, with Dino for four and a half years and then uh, the two entities, uh, which Dino is a joint venture with Wampum, um, the Davis family and Wamp, uh, from Wampum, uh, and um, Diner Nobel came to me with an opportunity to shift and do similar things and bring new energy and help the Davis family mm. run their business and as as you're the future as you're um, as you're talking, I'm just putting two and two together. So it's Nobel as in the guy that basically invented modern explosives, correct? And the Nobel Peace Prize and the Nobel Peace Prize, oh, which. Yeah. I didn't know until recently, and I, I was looking it up because I feel like I heard on some podcast, maybe Joe Rogan or something like that, and I looked it up. Yeah, so the guy invents explosives, and then he creates the Nobel Peace Prize after he becomes this explosives magnate. Right. Ah, so it's the same same name, same yeah. guy. That's fascinating. Same guy. I've never, I've never even thought thought that there was the same until just as you were talking about. I was like, wait a minute, that's the same guy. Yeah. Ah. So. So. Dino Nobel goes way back, way back then. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the explosives industry has gone through its different name changes, mergers, acquisitions, yeah. different holding companies, things like that. That that are ultimately 
what's behind Dinah Nobel or Orca. Um, and who are the others? Austin? Austin Powder. Yeah. 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 They've always been Austin. Austin. Yeah. Because their sticker, I think their hard hat sticker says is ever. Eighteen thirty-three and ever since. Or yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I have I have one of their hard hat stickers on my hard hat because I we that's what we used um, when I was blasting with Kiwit because we were up in the Pacific Northwest. Okay, and they have a big presence up there. Yeah, I'll so, have to give you a new hard hat sticker to cover that one up. I yeah, you're not <laughs> no, the I'm first. You're not the first explosives guy outside of Austin. <laughs> but it's it's a very it's an interesting business. It's a niche business, yeah. and it's not something that I can't be be really become a, a an explosives entrepreneur. I can't go start my own explosives company tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Yeah. No. It, it, it would take it a little some, bit. Take some red tape. There, yeah, there's through. some buried entry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, there's some. Which, yeah. which makes it uh, a good niche to be in. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not like um, you can just go buy a lawnmower and now all of a sudden you're in landscaping. Yeah, sure. You know, it, it, you need a little bit of time and thought process to, to enter. But um, I think the industries go through their different changes. And that's through leadership. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to enter the markets through joint ventures or independent distributors, or we're going to do it all ourselves. So I think as you see the, over the years, history kind of repeats itself after a while. And yeah, it's, uh, but I mean, the, like Wampum Hardware, we started as a hardware store. Mm -hmm. That's why it's Wampum Hardware okay. in Western Pennsylvania, okay. a little Wampum PA. And uh, the Davis family, is now in their fifth generation of running the company. Next year, they'll be 120 years of, of being in business. Wow. And when you start out as a hardware store selling, you know, farming supplies and, and other things, and then all of a sudden you're starting to sell more black powder off your shelf and dynamite. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure. And then you start to realize, well, as business people, let's sh shift this way. And yeah. now you grow into this... Um, very huge family business that is backed by a, a manufacturer of explosives. That's amazing. Yeah. So is it is it what what does the business do nowadays? As far as how how big? Yeah. Or, like what does the business area? look like? Yeah. And what's the kind of work? Um. We we do drilling and blasting services. So drilling and blasting. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. We do uh, s supply to underground mines of uh -huh. explosives. Sometimes we'll do the blasting with our people. Sometimes we'll just give some technical expertise and um, assistance, support. Um, other times we're just providing the explosives and their blasters go underground and do that or uh, surface mining. There's so much here. So one, one misconception about blasting, I've already referenced it. Everybody thinks it's dynamite that you're throwing into holes to blow stuff up nowadays. Right. It's not dynamite because dynamite's not that great from a stability standpoint. Yeah, I mean, it's... Nitroglycerin. It, yeah, we still use dynamite in a lot of pipeline work, uh -huh. ditch work. Obviously, that the, this era uh, right now, it's not a lot of that's going on. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's a product that's designed for that kind of work. Okay. Um, now, just like you have everything else, you have many tools in your toolbox as an explosives person. So there's a reason why we have bulk emulsion. Mm -hmm. It's a pumpable emulsion. Um just like a slurry, almost like a milkshake that we pump out of a, a bulk truck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, any, uh, any normal person would be like, uh, when I tell them what we do, what I do for a living, and I say, well, I blow shit up, and they go, what? Is that legal? Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. How can you do enough work of that? Like, is, you know, but they don't realize that this niche 
is enormous globally and in North America. They just don't realize that it has to happen or we can't have the things that we want to scroll on or you've, drink you've, out you've nothing. of. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, have you used a road? Have you? Do you live in a house? <laughs> Did you go over that bridge? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You want building materials? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you drive a just, car. Like it's all. It all comes from. That's and, the joke in mining. You can't outdig the blasters. Can't outdig the drills. Correct. And that and the drilling is one of the most difficult things to get right consistently. Uh-huh. Um, you know, explosives is, is a piece of it, but getting the drilling right is makes a really good blaster. I got a I I I got an amazing education in drilling and blasting by accident when I worked for Kiwit. We were making jetty stone. Which is a very unique form of drilling and blasting and a uh, form of drilling and blasting I've still never seen since I worked for Kiwit because usually you're, you're, when you're blasting, it's production. You're, mm-hmm. you're making it something that isn't diggable, diggable, which is small rocks. But what we were after were big rocks. And, and so it was so good from a, a, like a first blasting project because you learned so much about drilling, about powder patterns, about powder factors, about decking holes. There were, it was like the science project. So it wasn't just like, here's kind of the formula that works and we're just loading holes, loading holes, production, 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 production. It was, it was half science, half art. And so I got to see the difference in uh, patterns, mm-hmm. for example, and the difference in hole depth and the difference in powder factors and how many boosters did we use per hole. And there were, there were all these things we were playing with that gave me a really good background as far as like the fundamentals of blasting is concerned, which I thought was very cool. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that I enjoy um, construction uh-huh. because the jobs change, the rock changes. Yeah. And as you move around even individual states, you know, like here in Tennessee, what rock you have could change from, you know, three miles down the road. Yeah. And in yeah. Pennsylvania, the same way. I mean, you have shale, you have uh, limestone, you have real pinnacled stuff, you have sandstone. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just all over the place. And, you know, that's just one thing by doing blasting and being a part of companies that were in the whole Northeast from Maine uh, down to Florida and the Bahamas, all the way over now to Tennessee, Alabama, and then up to uh Wampum Hardware goes as far out west to Indiana mm. in the southern part of Michigan. I got you. So it just gives you um, more growth that you can get around. Like you, you see so much more than I'd even do because mm-hmm. you travel all over the place. You don't even talk about Australia. I mean, yeah, yeah. you've seen many ways of methods of excavation, many ways of uh, different geologies. And, and when you start to get around to these places, it's like, wow. Um, we may be doing things one way and have been for the last 20 years, but there's other things that we can try. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about like Jetty Stone, I laugh. Like that's the customer I would love to have that wants big rock. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we can give you big rock. Yep. We do yep. that sometimes by accident. Uh, okay? It's not always, yeah, not always everybody's favorite. Right. Usually big rock is is not what you want. But Right. We, we make big rock, small rocks normally. Yeah. And, and the variability in geography is really amazing the the one of the mines we went to in australia it was in a very new part of of uh, uh of queensland where they haven't mined before at this scale and it's one of the only probably one of the last greenfield coal mines in in the country unfortunately um 
and it's in this new area. So the one of the my managers was basically explaining if if we were in this area, which was a few hours away where most of the mines are, we would know how to mine because we would look at the mine next door and the geology would be similar enough so that we could use the same methodology. Whereas out here, we've really just had to, you have all these core samples. And so you kind of know what's there, but you don't really know how to mine it until you start just putting shovels in the ground and digging it. And then he said, as, as we've mined it over the past few years, and then for example, the water, how it interacts with it and how it changes throughout the year. And we've learned how to manage and mine it effectively. But you'd think that this multi-billion dollar operation, like, of course, they have a plan from the beginning and they just execute the plan. But it's not like that at all because you're dealing with the earth. <laughs> right. And, it, and it's changing by the bucket. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we there's many mines that we go into quarries that end up having a different shot pattern for each bench depth. Mm. And then if you go in and you have uh, almost like a construction project in a, a quarry, like near the scale house or near the crusher, or uh, you're putting a sump in, mm-hmm. you end up bringing smaller diameter holes in and yeah. different methodologies or a different product. You know, you may be able to shoot um, ANFO, bulk mm-hmm. ANFO, or like a, a blend in certain areas, but then you have to go to more of a water resistant product like bulk emulsion in the lower holes, which where you have all that, you're encountering all that water. Yeah. And so your, your primary, you, you have your primary explosive that does the real work and that's the AMFO or emulsion. The biggest difference between AMFO and emulsion emulsion is groundwater for the most part. Water resistant. And then also the density, it's a heavier product is the Emulsion, emulsion versus the lighter product is ANFO. So it's more energy with emulsion? Um, there's more gas in ANFO. Mm-hmm. Get a little bit more heave. Okay. I got you. That's so, why a lot of times we'll blend some ANFO in the emulsion to make it a blend. Uh, Get that extra heave if you have a lot of water. Uh, okay. I got you. Yeah. It, it, a, lot of, a lot of explosive manufacturers try to make one product. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, make it for the masses and get it out there. But rock likes different explosives. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the best ones at doing it are the ones that are there with the customer, working with them, saying, okay, what do you need? Mm-hmm. I'm going to adjust my patterns, my powder factors for what you need. And if you don't need small rocks, well, then maybe we can spread some things out and do some things differently to sh- do our work cheaper for them for the end result. But we don't want to go the opposite way too far where we're shooting the rock too cheaply mm-hmm. and then it costs them money at the end of their at the end of the, the cycle. I, I see that a lot though. Yeah. Is these producer like I'm an idiot and I know better than that. Like why are you trying to save money on blasting drilling and blasting? Like why are you why are you squeezing here? Because I see these operations. It costs them so much more on the other side. I think it's, um, you got to trust your people. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy that's making the decision on the pattern and the relationship between the blasting company, the blaster really holds that relationship at the mine site. You know, you can have salespeople, mm-hmm. managers like myself and things go around, but like, we really need that relationship to sell 
our explosives. People buy from people. Yeah. Um, you know, and you see that as people go around from different things. And that's something I really believe in. I, you know, you got to trust the person that's selling you, hey, we got to make this change. And I'm, let, me, let me help prove it out. But give me time to prove out that I can, in the end result, if you spend some more money on uh, the chemical explosion, we're going to save you money down, down, your, uh, down in your crusher. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, We're going to save you energy. I mean, how much is your electric bill? How much is your diesel fuel? How, yeah. What's your cycle times on your trucks? What's yeah. your guy digging? Yeah. You know, is you we creating toes that we have to come back in secondary blast after yeah. the fact? I mean, these are all costs that a procurement person necessarily isn't seeing in this in the spreadsheet. Uh-huh. And that's where I think they go wrong a lot of times is they're making decisions based on the spreadsheet, not the reality of what's going on in the operation. I can... It's pretty easy at this point to look at an operation and to know how well they're doing based on just how it looks, especially a pit. Like I've seen beautiful pits, gorgeous pits, and I have seen just God awful operations. That's just like, how are you guys making money? But that's how much money they're making. They don't care. They don't need to do it effectively because they're still making money doing it the way they are. But I always appreciate a very, very good looking pit like Luxstone mm-hmm. on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Every one of their pits looks beautiful. I don't know what the heck they're doing, but they're doing it right. It's like, well, this is working. Drilling's working. Blasting's working. Load hall's working. Everything's planned. This is a beautiful operation. Yeah. And I, I, that's one of the questions coming into this that I wanted to ask you. I mean, getting around to the different areas of the country and, and doing drilling and blasting, being a subcontractor lots of times. You know, uh-huh. um, you get to work with different contractors and it just seems like, um, like you're saying with the Luxstones, the sergeants, the, you know, those certain companies that have a high standard, they seem to do everything to a high standard. Like when it comes to paying their bills, how they treat their employees. Yeah. I mean, but then the opposite is also true when you see a bad looking pit and then you see that, well, we just got to hog out whatever rock we can get. There's mm-hmm. no plan. And, and it's just, do you see that? Like, it almost seems like that when a company has one or two things, right, they usually behind the curtain have the other stuff, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think a, a big problem too in mining, especially in the agri world is turnover and, or, or just managers moving pit to pit to pit to pit. So you're talking about how important the relationship is, but I know some mines on the East coast that like, it's so like every year they have totally new management mm-hmm. <laughs> and the totally new management comes in and tries to do something differently. And then a year later they're gone. And then you have totally new management trying to do something differently again. And you would, again, m- with the, the, with the money in this world, you'd think it'd be more cohesive and deliberate than that. But a lot of times it's not like I'm thinking of a really big operation right on the East coast that I know is a complete mess just because they've turned over management annually. And it's a foreign company. So it's, it's, it's a very successful foreign company, but they just can't get their hands around this one operation just because of management. Um, Revolving door. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it hard to, to make, form that relationship and build that trust and actually work as a team rather than just do your, do your fucking part. You're yeah. the drilling blaster. Just drill and blast. We know what we're doing over here. <laughs> it's it's the things that the partnerships that work, and it's 
you know, if you get treated like a sub and that's all you are, like you said, just come I mean. in and do yeah. your subcontractor, or you're really a business partner. Yeah. And the best construction projects, best mine operations that we've been a part of and you enjoy going to work at is when you're treated like a business partner and that you're, you have a say and uh, that your, your opinion uh, is taken into account when they're doing their planning. Mm-hmm. And if you can get involved with the planning, as, uh, as drilling and blasting, we're getting in when the stakeout's happening. Yeah. You know, we're, we're first, virtually the first in after the stripping crews pick out the trees or whatever, prep it for us. And then we're in. And, um, you know, just more of that planning. Uh, one thing that uh, Dino Nobel has, has done well is uh, have these blast optimization team meetings mm. to discuss things. What sometimes I see happen out of some of the meetings is some things are said and then the action items are just action items written down. Mm-hmm. And we got to bring actual action to that. Yeah. And not just talk about water falling and all these catchphrases. And it's actually, okay, get boots on the ground and ensure we're doing what we said we were going to do. Yeah. 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 Bl- blasting, when it's done right, again, it's just awesome to see. There's, um, I'm going out to um, Rio Tinto, Kennecott in a few weeks. Oh, wow. And if you, like, if you want to see real mining, that's the big leagues <laughs> out there. And, and their blasting is like a science project. They have all these engineers focused on fragmentation and they're just fixated on perfect fragmentation because good fragmentation means good fill factor on their buckets and shovels. So now you're getting perfect passes. You're getting perfect load loads on your trucks and you're at peak efficiency, which is so important when you're moving that much material because every little extra ton on that shovel matters. Right. And so they have all of their drills, their big production drills, which are a different world than drills in a quarry, for example. But they, um, and you know this, but it's just so cool to see. They, it maps the hardness of the rock for every single hole. And so every single hole in theory is loaded just a little bit differently to achieve perfect fragmentation for that specific blast. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. They develop the blast plan per the drilling data, which is just crazy. It's just like... That is so sick. So clever. So cool. I mean, that's the high dollar stuff. Yeah. Your mom and pop quarry can't do that, but that's what's possible. No, it's what's possible. And you can do that, um, you know, I guess the blue collar math way of doing it and and just, okay, we need a good drill log. Uh-huh. Let's start there. Yes. Okay. Let's start with a good drill log and uh, let's spend some time watching the driller drill mm-hmm. and make sure that what, how you would have mapped it as the blaster is what he or she in the drill cab is mapping it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard because in, when you have the smaller quarries, whether they're mom and pop or they're owned by a, a, a larger organization, there's still some of those large organizations that have 300,000 ton quarries uh-huh. or yeah. quote, quote, borrow pit. Yeah, or I've been to a bunch of them. Yeah. And, and that makes up their 3 million tons that they sell a year or whatever it's going to be, but they have 10 of them. So when you go into that quarry, you only have one shot a month or maybe one shot a quarter to get that end result. Mm-hmm. So that science project needs to be the consistent person because, like you said, if that quarry manager or uh, blaster isn't the same person that was there last quarter, yeah. how are you really adjusting? Yeah. Because the history is missing. Yeah. And with blasting, too, you only have one try to get it right <laughs> in theory. Yeah. And so, but you screw it up, you're 
really slowing things down, uh, potentially for weeks, months, if you get it wrong. You have to get it right. You have to. To remain efficient. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so funny, too, when I, the first time I saw someone lay out a pattern and they like, they pick out their rocks and then they spray paint their rocks on. And I'm like, this is the best way. This, this is how you guys do it. Just with spray paint some rocks. I'm like, yeah, this is how we do it. And all these quarries I go to, that's the standard spray paint rocks because, well, how else are we going to do it? And I know in the big mines, it's GPS and mm -hmm. there's a more perfect system to it, but it's funny watching layout because it's like, you could be off and you, you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know if, if you get even a foot off, which could make a big difference. Right. And even when you do GPS layout at the top, it's about the deviation that could happen from the bottom. Sure. Right. When you're drilling. Yeah. So I think a lot of that is, is there has to be, um, like when you have a full package and the driller is your employee, mm -hmm. a little bit easier to manage. But a lot of times that's not the case. You know, the quarry has the drill and the driller is their employee yeah. or it's a completely different sub altogether. Um, so you have that trust. But then we also need to, even if it's somebody else's sub, we need to manage that as well if you're the blasting contractor. It's, it's, so it's, it's interesting with Dino because in some cases you're just supplying the explosives. In some cases you're blasting and, and um, supplying the explosives and doing the blasting. In some cases, you're supplying the explosives, doing the blasting, and doing the drilling. Correct. Uh, Correct. And that's the same way with Dino's network of JV joint ventures and independents that they supply explosives to. I see. Um, so the, you know, the country's set up different ways for different companies. But um, like Dino Nobel, I ran the uh, east-south-central region for them, which made up Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. Okay. And we provided the explosives to construction contractors that did the DMB um, themselves. We would provide the explosives to the undergrounds in, in Tennessee and other places. Mm -hmm. And then we do the blasting ourselves as Dynamo Bell um, shot service. Now, uh, the JV Wampum Hardware, who I'm with now, we do all of those things, but we also drill. Okay. And then we do DMB packages for quarries and construction, whereas uh, Dino Nobel typically doesn't do any construction drilling and blasting. That's so fascinating. Construction drilling and blasting in Middle Tennessee, everybody is so, anybody that's uh, familiar with earthwork and blasting is just perplexed by it because they're just like, why is that drill just uh, like, I'll, I'll see sometimes, I'll see a drill in a street and I'm like, what the? going on here i'm like oh they're putting a new water line yeah so they just poke holes down the street on the uh, alignment for the for the water line and just you know just a little bit in each hole just let it rip just pop it all the way down it's yeah like, pretty much anywhere wow. you're gonna dig in in middle tennessee you're gonna be 18 inches down and hit limestone yeah so yeah so any little thing that you're putting a bucket in the ground for you're probably gonna have to shoot it's plastic well when we moved in here these jabronis next door were blasting it was they pulled like 200, 250,000 yards of, of rock out of that basement. And they were shooting every day. And when, when in a lot of places you're measuring um, seismic mm -hmm. coming off your shot, it's pretty strict. Like you, right. you cannot be making stuff shake around you. Here, who cares? Like we're just blasting, brother. Like 
the, it was shaking the building. There was there was there was mortar coming off the walls. They were shooting every day, and it would be like, bang. I mean, this whole building would shake every single day. I'm just like, that's how they do it here. Is no one? Like, have you guys even heard of seismic? Do you guys do you guys know what's going on here? Just no one cares. Or I've been to job sites. I've been to job sites where out in Middle Tennessee, it's just it's a a South thing, I guess. Where there was one time. It's some dude in cargo shorts with the, you know, the old school blasting setup. Like, what is it? Like the little cap in, in like the button or like, like the, it's like this little brass setup or whatever the hell it is with the, with a primer in it, with the primer and the deck cord going out of it. And, uh, there's, there's no air horn or anything. He's just standing there and just, whoop, just right in front of us. I'm like, what? Where was the notice? Were you going to say something? Like, were you going to let us know that you're going to blow up half the half the lot we're standing on right now? It's just like Billy, and he's been he's been blasting for thirty years and just doesn't care. You know, big dip in and just let her rip, brother. <laughs> <laughs> let her rip. Did he even yell fire and all? Uh, no, 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 no. That's why. That's why I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, you didn't you didn't say anything, anything. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I guess yeah, that's, that's a good point. Is you know, those those fly-by-night companies are out there. Um, it's a and, very old-school world still. And, yeah, in our industry, I think that's what we hopefully like, so, like a, a podcast like this and things that we're getting the word out is to get professionals, career people in to replace those kind of people that are doing that kind of work and, yeah. and, and have higher standards. I mean, that that's one example or two examples and that are out there. But as an industry... Um, we do, we got some professionals that are out there that, um, you know, I keep hearing it all the time about how do we get new people? How do we get new blood into the industry? And 20 years ago, when I started to go to the ISEE meetings and things like that for explosives engineers mm-hmm. and started to join, uh, when I was going to college, I was even going to these things with my dad who was in drilling. And so when I'd go to these things, everybody would say, there's all head, old heads in this building. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? 20 years later, there's still a bunch of old heads in those They're meetings. 20 years what? older. They're yeah, old. I mean, that, that, and that's fine. Yeah. But we need to get young blood into the industry and, and let them know that there's good quality jobs. Yeah. And it's a niche that if you get in, you get that, you know, the drilling and blasting in your blood. It's hard to leave it. It's a good industry. It's a fun industry. Uh-huh. But it's how do we get the billies that just <laughs> are out there just fly by night yeah. and giving the industry a black eye at times. And when people are saying, oh, was that legal? Like, how does that happen? Like, no, it's, it is a good professional industry to get into. But hopefully we get the word out. Well, I, I, I know um, I've talked with a lot of drilling and blasting outfits, and that's the biggest problem is it's, it's – um, you have to be very knowledgeable to do it well, especially drilling. Like drilling, drilling is not easy. It's not this entry level position. You don't throw anybody in a drill and just poke holes in the ground. And and mo- like most everybody's pretty old, pretty old. I would say the average age for drilling and blasting is way up there. Yeah, way up there based on what I've seen. Um, and so it's it's spooky. It's getting to the point where it's like, hmm, this is. This is really spooky now because if like this is the pinch point, mm-hmm. if this goes away, mining doesn't happen. 
and construction doesn't happen. And a lot of stuff doesn't happen if we don't figure this out. Um, but that said, it is so cool. It's so cool. When I was um, like with Kiwit, we were blasting almost every day and I had my friend's drone filming every shot, just busting my ass all day to load this thing. And we had the 50 pound paper bags of ampho. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a bulk truck. Right. We didn't have anything fancy. And we stemmed with five gallon buckets. Yes. It was such a shitty setup. It's like, how much does this company make a year? And here we are with a five gallon bucket with pea gravel stemming every 50 foot hole. But I, 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 looking back on it, I'm grateful we had to work for every shot. At the end of the day, you shoot. It's so satisfying oh, to yeah. see this, this whole face crumble right in front of you. I'm like, I I helped with that. Like I helped put that blast plan together. I put that damn info on the ground. This is sweet. It's it's one of the best things you can actually post online or anything. So that cool. Everybody like I used to go to my daughter's elementary school. She's older than that now, and be like the cool dad that came in because I was showing explosions. Yeah. You know the 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 dad that comes in and talks about well I'm a pharmacist this and that. that's not that yeah you fun be and a, exciting. a lawyer kids look at these documents yeah I mean yeah. but we come in and showing videos of what we do and you're right it's it's very satisfying to drive by the projects you've built. And um, I thought at one point I wanted to get into corporate and chase corporate America mm-hmm. by joining Dino Nobel. Mm-hmm. And after being over there, great company, great products. A lot of the explosives companies, manufacturers make great products. Um, I, I prefer Dino Nobel. That's what I've always used. Mm-hmm. So um, it's like a Milwaukee slash. Yeah, it's like driving DeWalt. a Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I had a Ford when I started driving, and I still drive in a Ford F-150. Yeah, I mean, I'm funny. just not going to yeah. buy the Dodge or yeah, Chevy. Yeah, You're either Ford yeah. guy or Chevy guy yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, always use dyno in every part of the, the business I've been in. Mm-hmm. So that I'm just kind of sold on that. But as far as the use, um, cut that out. <laughs> There's, there's nothing cut out. Uh, like I said, I, I, I screw up every every episode. Um, uh, Tyler McCallum of McCallum out in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know if you follow them on social media. They do a really good job on social. That's the most consistent blasting footage I've seen. And every shot is just so nice. It just pours out of the face. It's just, it's just like, and just all comes out. Just fragmentation on that rock is so beautiful. But every, t- every time I'm on social media, or I've, it's been years now, but I've seen, they shoot, they film every one of their blasts and they put it on the internet. Like, why don't we do more of this? Because this is sweet. Yeah. Everybody loves blasting. What's, what's, what's to, to not like about it? What's not like about it? Um, there's nothing in my opinion. Yeah. And, but if you're, uh, it depends what your company policies are. Some people don't want you to, to, to show Yes. Behind the curtain, right? I mean. But I am here to say their company policies are stupid. <laughs> I, I was joking on social media the other day, but I, I get a lot of direct messages on social media. A lot of people just send me random shit. And I love, I love people sending me random shit. If you're one of those people, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I love going through my DMs. Right. And I, I go through all of my DMs every weekend, or at least I try to, but there's a lot of them nowadays. And I get a lot of pictures and videos of the whoopsies out there and I know a lot of these operations and I know their operations that have zero cell phone tolerance 
and zero social media and all these rules. And yet the pictures are still in my inbox. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> I understand the policy, but it's silly yeah. because it's not stopping anybody, anybody. No, it's true. It's true. And it's it, only hurting the industry. It, it's something that we have a tool there for marketing that's just underutilized. Yes, but a lot of the mining companies, especially the big corporate mining companies, you go to their social media and it'll be some people planting some flowers and then um, a golf tournament that they recently went to. And then, um, you know, we're celebrating Thanksgiving today and it's a kind of a stock image, like happy Thanksgiving from so-and-so mine or whatever company. Right. And you're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're scrolling. It's like, where's the mining? Where are the machines? Where, where's the blasting? Show me what you do. I, I want to see what you do. How can I go to work for you and be a miner if I don't know what a miner does? If I don't know what happens at a mine? Like you're not, you're not, you're not helping me choose this as a career or right. choose your company as a company that I want to work for because you're not actually showing me what your company does. Correct. It's the same way as just showing the, the product you make. Well, what does it do? What does it do? I, how, what do I do with it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. What's the, what's the life of a, a, a driller, a day in the life of a driller look like? Yeah. What does the day in the life of a blaster look like yeah. or, or a pump truck driver? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if you wanted to find like real information on blasting on the internet, it's probably pretty hard to find. I haven't done my research. I don't know, but probably pretty hard to find if I wanted to figure out like timing. I mean, maybe some paper somewhere or some blasting manual. I have an old school blasting manual in the uh, kitchen. I'll show you. But n nothing made in the two, you know, 20th century, 21st century. Right. Getting my centuries wrong. A lot of, lot of old, old reports, right? Yeah. 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 Um, where, where is the product made in North America for you guys? Several, several places, uh, depends what product you're making, like a packaged, uh, dynamite or tube of emulsion mm -hmm. would be Carthage, Missouri. Okay. Uh, as far as other emulsion plants, they're sporadic over the whole network. I got you. United States. I mean, there's South Carolina, uh, Alabama, Pennsylvania, or sorry, Ohio. We have an Ormstown. We have some in Canada. So, I mean, depending on where it's coming from and mm -hmm. going, it's all over. Uh, some in out in Wyoming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every Cheyenne. time. Sometimes I'll see a truck with the explosives uh, placard on it. I'm like, yeah, that's the good stuff. I don't know where that's <laughs> going, but that's the good stuff. Um, there was a project in North Carolina, and I know one of the big logistical challenges was getting the powder to the site in the in the quantities they needed to keep up with the production right and and that's where regulation comes in and, uh, and hampers us today's business we're driving a lot further to the sites mm -hmm. to deliver the explosives mm -hmm. because we're restricted on where we can be and we got explosives you know with regulation is it is it safer to be driving less explosives less hours and miles sure. to the sites or but we're restricted that we can't be there, not the proper zoning, not the distances, things like that. I got you. So it's, uh, we are where we're at because we can be there and we just got to drive. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and then, but you, not anybody. I can't go drive a explosives truck, not even with the CDL, because I need hazmat as well. Correct. So you're even and, and maybe there. and maybe tanker endorsements as well. Tanker if, endorsements, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a specialized professional. We yeah. want professional drivers driving explosives. It's yeah. not like driving potato chips. It's a little bit different. Not yeah. no offense to potato chip drivers out there. <laughs> no, but it's. <laughs> I don't know how many different. of them are going to be listening to the dirt talk, but if you do. If you're listening to this and you want to get your hazmat CDL, call me. You can probably make good money yeah. driving around explosives. I think we provide pretty good wages. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a, a but just the the even the logistics behind blasting. It's so I just love the profession. I love the industry because there's so much to it. You got to manufacture it. You got to get it there, and then once you get it there, now there's all these rules, and it's regulated by the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, mm-hmm. which is just random. It's like ah. Oh, the government's like, where do we put explosives? Like, uh, just give it to the ATF guys. And so <laughs> so then the ATF says, well, you can't put your emulsion with your, your you know. Detonators. Your, your detonators. Yeah, because, you know, for obvious reasons, you can't just put it on the same closet. <laughs> so you got to separate it. And then uh, you have your, your, your drilling. Then you have your blasting plan. And then you have to verify that you did indeed use you know, whatever it was. Yeah. We used, you know, 5,000 pounds of ANFO in this shot. And then you have to, uh, you know, inventory everything all the time to make sure, yeah, we still have the explosives. We say like someone's not walking off with a 50 pound bag of ANFO every day in the, in the trunk of their car. It's just, there's a lot to it. There's, there's a lot to it. And that's why when you look at the whole industry, we need good people. We need yeah. good people. You yeah. put a lot of trust in those people to be doing those inventories right, use the explosives accurately, and and document it. I guess that would be a requirement for hiring for you all is you do need good people. Yeah, there's a there's an there's a barrier to entry for, as an employee as well, not just to get into the business as yeah. a business to have your own company, but also to work for an explosives company. You have to pass a background check. Yes. Yeah. There'd be an employee possessor to say that you are allowed to work around uh, explosives yeah. and handle them for our company. I still have my little piece of paper that said I can handle explosives legally because I thought that's just a random thing to have yeah. from back in the day. I'm like, this is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so you need people that not only can pass a drug test, right. but, but can pass a federal background check. Correct. It's, that limits the pool a little bit. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many things you don't think about. But I guess when you're handling explosives every day, it makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And, um, you know, just ATF regulates things at a federal level, but then there's each individual state, mm. each individual borough or township, city, yeah. that also throws on layers of more potential regulation. I got you. And then every mine's a little bit different. Correct. And it could be the same company, but different rules here versus there. And then you have Shaw in the mix as well. So you've got, it's just a party of, of regulations and rules. See, we're selling this already. Yeah, I know. It's a great, a great, great gig. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't be a felon. You can't, you can't do drugs. You, you deal with a lot of rules and federal agencies, but. What's wrong with our industry? It pays I mean, great, what's everybody. What's wrong with our industry? You know, like <laughs> we have all these rules. Yeah. Why can't we get people to join us? <laughs> but it, it is, it is a great, it is a great industry. I, um, 
again, I, I, in another life, I would happily work in a bla- at a blasting company. If this podcast thing doesn't work out for you and then marketing and, <sighs> and everything, let me know. It's been, it's been close. So <laughs> it's been pretty close over the past year or two. Yeah. It's been pretty close. Yeah. I, um, it, it, it would be cool. And you talked Florida and the Bahamas. It's interesting. So there's different rock, but then in Florida, Florida is really cool. Bahamas is really cool because you're blasting underwater. Yes. You're in water. Lake bound blasting, basically. It's a lake bound blasting. Yeah. All your aggregate is below the water table and you can't pump the water fast enough because it's Florida. It's, it's just this giant sponge. So just water just flowing everywhere. And that was the first, that was the first time I really saw like just blasting in a, in a lake. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, and that's why going around the country and seeing these different applications, use of explosives, drilling. Yeah, I mean those drills down there are Florida specials. Kelly bars. I mean, they're, 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 they're like these giant sticks, a hundred foot in the air. Yeah, hundred foot, it's, and it's unbelievable. And they basically just go around and and make those. Like when you fly into Florida, you see all those lakes, and mm-hmm. everybody's like, "Oh, those are so cool." Yeah, but if you see the ones that are exactly perfectly rectangle. They're a mile, 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 mile. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just, you just keep chasing the drills, the blaster. But those lakes are man-made uh-huh. when you fly in and they're perfect. They, they, it just doesn't get made that way. So, um, you know, that, and that blasting down there too is kind of reverse. You don't want to cast the rock out into the lake. Yeah. You want to kind of stack it up versus that's everything else in you're mining, you want to cast it out so it's easier to dig and everything yeah. else. But when you're digging with a shovel and you want it to stack up so you don't lose all that material and he doesn't have to like go searching for it mm-hmm. to get it. Well, that's why a lot of the pits down there use drag line. Yeah. They can cast that bucket out and pull pull everything back in and, and dig all the way down. I mean, they can get 50, 60, 70 feet down there with that drag line bucket. Correct. That's, it is so cool. And, and that's why the drills have to be so tall because you got one hole, whereas in a conventional quarry, you know, you, 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 you make a bench and you go into the next bench. There's no going down to the next bench. No, in Florida. that's it. <laughs> you got, you got an 80 foot hole most, most times down there. Foot. And that's it. You got one shot at it. Like you said before. Yeah. You know, another, I'm thinking through just cool blasting I've seen, uh, something wild I saw was they were dredging the Boston Harbor. So what's happened is. Um, this, the, the global shipping trade has really increased over the past few years because of the expansion of the Panama Canal. I was just explaining this to somebody yesterday too, for no reason. Just one of the fun facts I know. So <clears throat> global, like maritime trade and in, in the size of ships is dictated by the, the Panama Canal. It can't be bigger than the Panama Canal because then your ship is limited to one side of the world. And so when they expanded the Panama Canal, it allowed for these larger generation of container ships to be built and cargo, bulk, bulk cargo carriers to be built. Okay. But the problem is bigger ships require uh, bigger ports, taller bridges, deeper water. And so to accommodate and to stay competitive within the global trade market, all of these ports have had to spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on uh, on on expansion projects, and so the the in in Boston, Port of Boston, they expanded their port. But the problem is in the Boston Harbor, there are these rocky outcrops that 
in a low tide prevented ships from from navigating the harbor. So they would have to wait until high tide. But they wanted to remove those little rocky outcrops so that these bigger ships could go in and out of the harbor at any time of the day. Crazy. And so Great Lakes, Dock and Dredge was in there with their big, big, big excavator, the biggest uh, excavator dredge in North America, in this part of the world. Monster machine digging the rock and loading it into uh, barges, but it's rock, so it's not diggable. So they had to blast it all. And so they have this drill boat called the Apache with three drills. They, they fix this boat with um, spuds. So they fix it into position, basically lift it and level the ship. And then they have three drills on the side of the ship. And I might be explaining it wrong, but I'm pretty sure they, they fix the ship in position. They have to. It's drilling. And then they drill these holes. And then as they, they pull the drill out, they load the hole. Because with divers? Huh? With divers? No, no. They they load it from from the drill. Oh wow. Because they can't uh if they pulled the drill out, they couldn't find the hole again. It's underwater. So as they drill, they they move back, back, back. It's all loaded as they go back, which is fascinating. And then they when they're ready, they blast. And it's just like like just like kind of just bubbles at like like a spa, you know, bubbles at the surface. It doesn't look all that dramatic, but it's all blasted underwater. And then they come through and dig it. Wow. Yeah. Been a part of a couple there. Uh, when I was with Mangling and Blasting, they did a couple of those harbor projects. But they had done uh, some underwater blasting. You had to hire commercial divers to, to, to take f- the explosives down to the holes. That's crazy. Now, I wasn't directly involved with that, but it was something we did one there. Working underwater is one thing. Working underwater with like a bag of explosives, that's crazy. You get hazard pay if you're swimming around with explosives, do you think? Those I'm sure, guys I'm sure those commercial divers made out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not too worried about what they made, but yeah, they, yeah. they I'm pretty sure they're, they're pretty set. Yeah. It is such a cool world. There's so many applications once you start thinking about it. Yeah. I think it's a great life that you can have working in the explosives industry. Mm-hmm. And then when that's one thing when you see people that are in those rooms that we talked about earlier that are older, if we don't get younger people with them, learning from them and mentoring, you have years yet that people are hanging on to the industry. Yeah. And that shows you they don't want to leave. They want to stay in the industry. They love what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they they want to teach somebody else the craft that that made their life what it is. Yeah. And 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 we got to get other people with that room of older people that can mentor them and things. And and one thing I wanted to say earlier that I missed was there's life lessons and lessons learned that were that were a different decade or multiple decades ago that if those things happen today you don't learn those lessons the same way. Sure. You're not in this industry if you have if you have those same things happen and those people in that room can teach the next generation of people that are going to be running companies, mm-hmm. these explosive manufacturers and things and, and drilling and blasting companies, they need those lessons learned. Yeah. And it's, it's this art and science that's really not recorded anywhere. 
it's just in people's heads, which is great, but also scary because when that person leaves, it's just like burning the book. We don't have the book anymore. All that information's gone. Yeah. Just imagine, imagine being one of those guys in like the 1800s and mining with just dynamite underground. Like it, blasting used to be, I don't know, it's not even hardcore. It's just like, see some of the stuff. You've been like the old mines, I guess like the old underground mines. And you try to put yourself there back in the day, making like maybe a dollar. You're making nothing. Yeah, you got to respect the guys that actually did that for their life. Yeah. And came out to produce for their family. I mean, there's where those some of those mines were, I don't know what the alternatives were. Mm-hmm. And that's where like our industry and not just explosive industry, but mining in general, construction in general, there's so many other opportunities that people are comparing to choose for their career. Yeah. So it's it's, uh, you know, do I go to an office? Do I go to a warehouse? Do I work on a computer? I mean, I think that's the, the, the right people for this industry and mining and construction are the ones that want a little change throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just drive a truck. I don't want to just um, be on the computer. Um, I don't mind a little bit of outside work and inside work. And, and, it, and that's what I like about what we do is it changes. And sometimes the site changes every day. I'm not going to the same office building every day or the same warehouse every day. It changes. Now, some people don't like that. They want the standard schedule. I'm going to start at eight o'clock. I'm going to be done at four or start at seven and be done at five, whatever that is. Some people want that. That's not our industry. But on the other side is I think uh, what you can do with it there's a little bit of gray in what we do. Mm-hmm. It's not black and white. No. And that's where I think that you can actually jump up in our industry from an entry level and learn a niche, learn the career, and become an expert. I think that's what's missing. Like, So many people would just want to come in and learn the skill, and I got it. But like, do you really want to become an expert? And I think that's how you can ultimately advance quicker in our industry. You can become an expert. Yeah, yeah. If you become an expert in drilling and blasting explosives, you become wildly valuable to a lot of operations, like a wildly valuable, because you can go apply that anywhere, and everybody needs it. Yeah, I I think that that's something we have we can offer. Yeah, and no matter if the company changes its ultimate philosophy, whether they're going to have their own blasters or not, mm-hmm. or have their own drillers or not you're going to be very valuable being an expert in the industry. Sure. Yeah. It's a cool world. I wish I wish I could go back to it every once in a while. It was really fun. It was just dumb luck that I got involved in it. And what was really cool about it all was Kiwit held the blasting license. They weren't subbing the blasting out. Okay. So that's why I was the one handling explosives, and that's why I was involved in every shot. Which I've learned is not the norm with a construction company, typically. Very few construction companies have blasting operations as well. And even if they do have blasting operations, it's typically under a different company. And they keep church and state separate, in a way, for the sake of liability. But with a company like Akiwit, just, you know, the big powerhouse they are, 
it's all just under one umbrella, which was so cool. So cool to be involved in a company that allowed me to do it all, which I thought was, it was pretty, pretty unique. Oh, that's, that is very unique for someone the size of Kiwit. Yeah. To, to have it all in house like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was just unique project, unique application. I did, um, I was thinking of, just <laughs> hilarious. I was just talking to them today, going to work for Ames Construction in Arizona, doing drilling and blasting. Cause after school, I, I, so I was, uh, I had a girlfriend, my, my last two years of college, we, we had a great thing going and I was bouncing around during the summers and going to Arizona state in, in Tempe. And I was working my junior, senior year in the office for a company called Hayden in, uh, based out of Phoenix, but they had a Texas division and I knew I wanted to leave Arizona after school. I don't know why. It's just like, I'm, I was born and raised here. I've been here my whole life. I want to go expand my horizons and see something else. And so they sit me down and they say, hey, we actually want to keep you in Arizona. And this is like a, a few weeks before I graduate. We want to keep you in Arizona. I'm like, mm, n- n- no, I, I, I'm going to Texas. And, and if we can't make this work, I'm going to a different company. Right. I'm, I'm leaving the state. It can be with you guys or somebody else, but that's, that's what's going to happen. And I don't know if I said it like that, but I do remember being pretty firm. Like this isn't a negotiation. I'm doing this or I'm going somewhere else. And I, I had some bargaining power because I had so much experience that I kind of could go where I wanted to after school. The benefit of working for five companies while you're in school and have an engineering degree. So I move out to Texas and my girlfriend wanted to come with me, but I was like, mm, I don't know about that because it just didn't feel right. I don't know what it was. It was just, I'm 22. I'm a fucking idiot at the time. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, let's just, let's just try the long distance thing. And I don't, I, I didn't, the, the, the thought of her dependent on me didn't just didn't sit right. So I'm just like, listen, I'll be out here for like a year. And then there's this big project, the Loop 202 project, this new highway job. This is a billion-dollar highway job in Arizona kicking off. And I'll go get a job with Ames doing drilling and blasting because I have drilling and blasting experience. They're going to need people doing that work. That's a pretty unique thing to have on your resume. Right. So I'm pretty confident I could get a gig doing that. And I'll be back to Arizona in a year. Like, yeah. it's not even that long. <laughs> and so she, she says, no, thanks. <laughs> she's married to somebody else now happily, <laughs> which is great. And uh, f- the funniest part is I'm ba- I was back in Arizona eight months later because <laughs> I did four months in Houston or t- Fort Worth. Then I did four months in Houston, quit. And then when I started to build, but moved back to Arizona to live with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to live with your parents? Uh, no, yeah, <laughs> she wasn't there waiting? No, no, no. She, yeah, she, was, she was out, dude. She was like, all right, if I'm not, she, you know, she did what I did to the company. Like, if I'm not coming to Texas, then I'm out. I'm like, well, here we are. So, yeah. And, and I was for a reason, talking right? to Ames today. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 How, things, how the world turns. Yeah. It's um, Southwest Energy does a lot of blasting out in the Southwest. Yes. Through Fisher. But I don't know who they, I don't know if they use Dino or somebody else. They would be a Orca. Orca. Yeah, Orca JV. I got you. That's so funny how that world works. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know the JV thing was a thing. 
How yeah. much, what's on, on a percentage basis, how much is the, the raw materials versus the service and the drilling, like in a shot? Like roughly what percentage would be the actual raw materials? I would say a third, a third, a third. A third, a third, a third. Okay. That's pretty even. So it's, it's helpful to have a partner. It's helpful to have a partner. In a third of... Especially what we just went through coming out of COVID and then there's uh, all the uh, security of supply and things like that. If, you, if you're not connected with uh, someone that knows roughly what volumes you're going to need and things like that, they can't plan to manufacture just like tomorrow everything you need and get oh, it within okay. the system to deliver. I didn't even think of that. It's not like diesel fuel where yeah. you can just like just order a truck whenever you want. You have to plan ahead on here's how much we need. And so they feed it to you consistently in theory. Right. And, and that's something that with regulation, we can't store everything we need for a year on one site. Sure. It has yeah. to come each week at some sites or each day or, you know, once a month, depending on how big or small the site is, how much it's running. I and that see. changes when there's a site that like gets a major project nearby. Yep. yep. Now all of yep. a sudden yep. you go from what you were using in a month in a week. Uh-huh. And being in with a manufacturer really helps when okay. you get that random project that you, you can support. I got you. Um, how do people find, find y'all? LinkedIn. We yeah. have a website as well. Um, you know, mainly, um, www.wampumhardware.com. I spell Wampum. W-A-M-P-U-M. Okay. I would have said W-O-M, so I'm glad not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, they can find us probably through you. You have a bigger followership than we do. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, we uh, have a lot of our postings online. Um, and really, if, if somebody's looking to get into the explosives industry, whether it's wampum hardware uh, in the area we cover or Diana Bell, or just get in and get information, you know, I'd love to talk to them. And Deal. I can get them hooked up with whoever uh, in whatever state they want to work in. And, and going to that, do you all hire people that aren't experienced in blasting? Yeah, we would, definitely. I mean, it's something we're looking for right now, just explosives trainees. Yeah. Get in and get a crash course in what explosives has to offer in the industry. And you may get in here thinking you want to drill or thinking you want to blast, and you may get into something completely different. Uh-huh. I, I, I now just, this topic is making me think of all kinds of random shit. I, there was this one time, and I know I'm acting like, you know, I've been blasting forever. I've been blasting for three months. But I've seen a lot of boxing in a lot of different applications. But it was um, that morning I, I put a shot together. And then from there, I went straight to the airport. And I was still wearing everything I had when I was putting that shot together and loading that shot. And I go through airport security. And I walk through airport security. I get through it. And then just like this like paralyzing fear sets over. I'm just like, what the fuck did I just do? Because had they just gone and swabbed my shoes or my hands, they would have, it would have come up positive for explosive residue. <laughs> and I would have been sitting there in some back room getting strip searched and having to explain myself. Like, <laughs> and I know it wouldn't have been bad, but it's just like, I was so scared after that. 
and so I, I never traveled after loading a shot again because I didn't want to have to explain myself and end up in some sticky situation because I test positive for explosive residue at, at the TSA. Yeah, so there's a lot of times I get my computer out and it has like the I love explosive stickers <laughs> on it or, or whatever it might be and it's like there's a lot of TSA guys like what? Yeah, I'm like yeah, make sure like, is this a joke or what? No, no, that's what, what what I do for a living. Uh huh. Yeah, different conversations. Yeah, I can I I. It it has to have been a problem for somebody at some point. There's no way every blaster in America has never been pulled over by TSA for some explosive residue on their boots or something like that. It has it it has to have happened at some point. I'm just glad it wasn't me. Yeah. Or you. Watch yourself. Yeah. I just. <laughs> Right well, um, I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Thanks for yeah. stopping by. I'm glad you wanted to get an explosives guy on your, your podcast. Give yeah. us the opportunity to yeah. talk about the industry. First explosives guy. So, I hope I can see you shot at some point. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate it.